Man, oh man, I'm glad to be here. Thankful to be here. I love the Bible and all that's written in it. I was telling Danny a joke the other day. I think it was uh, Jerry Clower that told it, but he he said that um, I think it was Marcel was on an airplane. He was riding riding somewhere on an airplane, and he was sitting up in the first class seat. And he was reading the Bible. A man sat down beside him. He said, uh, "You don't believe what he said in that Bible, do you?" And he said, "Yeah." God said it, and that I believe it, and that settles it. And that old man says, "You, you don't really believe that Jonah was swallowed up by a fish, taken to another city, and spit out, do you?" And he says, "Yeah, the Bible says it. I believe it, and that settles it." And he says, "Well, how do you know?" He said, "Well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah." And he said, well, "What if Jonah ain't in heaven?" He said, "Well, I guess you can ask him." <laughs> so, anyway, I love the Bible and all that it says. And, I believe that all all of us that's wrote in it, and uh, from front to back, I think it's all inspired, at least in some degree, and so uh, so I'm thankful for it. And uh, we're just going to take off through this book of Ephesians, and I hope you're ready for a magnificent journey, I think, of this book. I've been studying it for some time now, and man, the riches that are found in this epistle. Oh, what blessings Yahweh has poured out on us through His Son. And like I said a couple weeks ago, this book is a treasure house for the saints. It's slam-packed with the blessings of Yahweh and our guarantees of salvation through His sovereign choice and the perfect work of His Son. It's an epistle of reassurance, theology, practicality, and blessings from the Almighty, and I'm so enthused about it. I can't hardly stop talking about it. I talked to Matthew, and I talked to Danny, and I talked to people about the book of Ephesians because it's big on my plate right now, and I've been going through it, and man, it just seems like everything's, you know, when you study something, you get excited about it, and you don't want to quit studying about it. And when you learn something new, you want to tell everybody about it. I'm just really excited about it, and I want to share it with you guys, and I want to take it verse by verse and go through it because I don't want to leave anything out. And so I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I have. And you never really understand a book until you take the time to dive into it and uh, read it over and over again and dissect each verse and really study it. And you do the you do the work, you know, Get into the author's mind, so to speak, and understand where he's coming from. And uh, I love how Matthew's been teaching through Matthew 23 and Matthew 24. It's been so eye-opening for me. It's been mind-blowing how he's dissected the book and interpreted the Bible with the Bible, using the Scriptures. When somebody does that, not only will they get the true understanding that's trying to be conveyed by the author when you're reading the book, but when it's understood correctly, it opens up a plethora of knowledge that just dovetails into a complete revelation of the rest of the Bible. That's the idea. That's what we're trying to do. So so much of what he's been teaching in Matthew 23 and Matthew 24 has helped with my understanding of the book of Ephesians. It's not even, I mean, it's not even funny how much that it all ties in. And we'll get into some of it as we go through the book. But I think if you've been paying attention in his sermon on Matthew, 20, Matthew 23 and 24, you'll see the connections in Ephesians as we get there. And I'm so excited, I just want to tell you all about it right now. I want to tell you how all this stuff ties in to the book of Ephesians, but you and I both know that we, if we do this, if we snatch a scripture out of its context and just try to tie it in somewhere over here, we lose the whole, the, the foundation, I guess, of the scripture. And so I don't want to do that. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you come every time to church, every time, with your Bible open, with your ears open, and with your mind ready to receive something and to learn on Yahweh's Sabbath. I'm not speaking about 
just when I'm teaching, and I'm not saying this for me because I've taken the time to study and to put this message together, but anybody that stands up here and has taken the time to put the message together, it's taken hours, countless hours. You can study for 8, 10, 15, 20 hours, and you might have five minutes worth of sermon. You know, really. And um, if you study for, study for 40 hours, you might have 20 minutes worth of sermon. That's what about that's about what you're going to get tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but it's but it's it's hard, and it's a it's a lot of time. And folks, somebody has already has already blazed the trail for you. They've already did all the studying for you. All you have to do is come here and listen. Go behind them, study behind them. Make sure the things that they say are so, you know. And and we do this. We do this for the edification of the church. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it so that we'd be edified also. But we do it mostly for the edification of the church and so that everybody in here learns and grows at the same pace. And when you leave here, you're, you're, you're more knowledgeable than you were when you, when you come in. And so uh, the scriptures say that you're to be a Berean. Matthew was talking about that just a second ago, searching all things to see if they, they're so. We're to receive them with eagerness and to search them and make sure that what I say is truth or what anybody else did that teaches, whether it be somebody that stands behind a podium or whether it be somebody that you talk to along the way or some evangelical pastor, search the things that they say to make sure that what he's saying so. Because the blind leadeth the blind, and both of them fall into the ditch. But keep in mind, it's not just the leader that falls into the ditch, it's the one that follows him. And so if if you follow me, and I've misled you, you'll still fall into the ditch. The ditch is a representation of Gehenna or hell or destruction. That's where you'll end up, right there with me. So do your part. Take your scriptures home. And when somebody teaches something, take the time to go behind them. Make sure that what they say is so. You'll benefit from it. I'll benefit from it. Everybody that teaches will benefit from it so that you might correct me where I'm wrong. And I'm open for correction. If you know what I, what I said, if, if something I say is wrong, by all means, come tell me. Enlighten me to the best of your ability in a humble way. And I'll do the best I can to receive it. And we'll work through it together. And, and uh, maybe we'll come up with something. And I'll always, you always will, I'll do my best to teach the scriptures with diligence. And not just teach just to get by, but to truly study for the sake of, for you and for me and for everybody else. But with that being said, let's get started in the book of Ephesians. Last time I taught, I kind of did an introduction to the book of Ephesians. Remember I told you it was a treasure house for the saints? So I gave several examples of those treasures that we could find ourselves throughout the book, kind of as an overview. And then we read through the entire book as a congregation, and I hope you all enjoyed doing that. I did. It's good to read through a book so that you get acquainted and you kind of get the the gist of the book before you start to break it down verse by verse by verse. So that was the introduction to the book of Ephesians. And now today, this is a second introduction to the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to cover the first two verses in chapter 1, and this is Paul's introduction to his letter. We'll go over these two verses so that we can get the background and the foundation of this this great epistle that Paul's gonna Paul's gonna teach to us. So let's read the first two verses. Ephesians chapter one and in verse one it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Yeshua by Yahweh's will, to the saints and believers in Christ Yeshua at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from Yahweh our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Christ. In this opening of Paul's letter here, he gives us a he gives us his greeting. He tells us who he is and who is who he's writing to. And then he gives them a greeting or a blessing. And I want to take some time to look at this greeting because it's slam-packed with information. And if we don't hurry through it and miss it, 
we will benefit from it, I believe. When Paul opens his letter, he gives his credentials. And oh, how important the credentials are. He says, Paul, an apostle. Let's stop right there. Do you know that there are only 14 apostles that have ever lived that can call themselves apostles of Christ? There's only 14 that have ever walked the face of the earth. You had the first 12 that were with Yeshua. They were handpicked, and then Judas betrayed Yeshua. He was removed. Remember, he betrayed the master leading to his crucifixion, and then he killed himself. So when Judas was removed, the lots were cast, and Matthias was chosen. That happened in Acts chapter 1. So Matthias was the 13th apostle, and then you have Paul, who became the 14th apostle. And that story is, is worth spending some time on, because that's how we will know exactly who Paul is. We need to get to the bottom of it. We need to understand who Paul is and why he writes his letters and things like that. And Paul is the author of Ephesians. So we want to know exactly who he is, how he came about as an apostle. He didn't become an apostle like the others. He didn't come come by the same manner. So as a brief overview of how Paul became an apostle, we have to go back to his conversion, and that all took place in the Scriptures as we read them in Acts chapter 9. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He lived in Jerusalem. He was part of the Pharisaical group in the in the synagogue. He stayed right there. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a huge persecutor of the Messiah. And prior to what we start to read about Paul, we talked about it last week. Uh, Matthew talked about Stephen. Stephen being stoned in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. But, but prior to that happening, in Acts chapter 6, Stephen was elected as a disciple. And he was elected as a disciple for the... I guess for the um, management of the church, so to speak, because some of the elder people were being neglected. And the apostles said it's not right in Acts chapter 6. He says it's not right for us to give up our ministry of preaching and teaching and praying for the saints to manage the, the affairs of the church. And so they said elect for yourself some men to take care of the elders in the church. And so they did that. Stephen was one of them. Well, after this takes place in Acts chapter 7, some of the Judite people from around, they start to question Stephen, and Stephen gets in kind of a debate with them, so to speak. And, and so they, they get all fired up at Stephen, and they start to stone him. And while they're stoning him, Paul's standing by the wayside, and they lay their robes at Paul's feet, or Saul's feet, who we, we later know as Paul right in this epistle here. Well, after they had stoned Stephen, Paul went immediately to the chief priest, and he asked for letters to go to the synagogues in the four nations, and Damascus particularly, he asked for letters to go and arrest these people who professed the name of Christ. That was his goal. He was going to go persecute them. He was going to bring them back so that they could try them and do whatever they were going to do to them. But while Saul was on the road to Damascus, he had these letters now, he's going to get them. But while Saul is, Saul is on the road to Damascus, he was struck down, and Yeshua asked him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This all takes place in Acts chapter 9, if you want to follow along or either go back and look at it. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked him, he says, who are you? And Yeshua says, I'm Yeshua, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Some men that were standing around right there, they see Paul fall down on the road to Damascus, and I guess blinded by light. They, don't, they hear the words, but they don't see what's going on. But they go help Paul up, and they carry him into and to Damascus, they grabbed him by the hand and they led him to the city because his eyes were blinded from the light. 
They led him to the house of Judas, Judas's house, not the Judas that was killed, but another Judas's house. And now there was a man there named Ananias who lived in Damascus who was scared of Saul because he had heard about the persecution that had come about on the Christian church. Paul was coming after all of those who had left out of the persec- when the persecution take- took place in Jerusalem. All the people who believed in Christ had scattered. Okay, And Paul was coming after them, and Ananias was one of them. Or he had, he had at least heard about the persecution that took place, and he was worried for the saints, you know. But this man, Ananias, was instructed by Yeshua in a vision to go and heal Paul in Acts chapter 9. Yeshua told him, he says, Go, Ananias, for this man is my chosen instrument. Yeshua tells Ananias this, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before nations, kings, and the sons of Israel. So Ananias did as he was instructed, and he went out and he found Saul, and he said to him, he says, Brother Saul, Yeshua the Christ, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, the scripture says, something like scales fell from his eyes, and Saul regained his sight. And he was baptized, and he started to eat and drink and regain his, regain his strength. You know. Now Paul stayed with the disciples in Damascus for a few days, and folks, it says after a few days, and he gained his strength, and he stayed with the disciples for a few days, it says he immediately, the Bible says from that day forward, he immediately started to proclaim Yeshua in the synagogues that he was the son of the Almighty. He was the son of Yahweh. That's what he started to do. Now, that, now Paul didn't believe in Christ. Okay, he didn't, he didn't believe that he was the son of Yahweh. And a matter of fact, he was going to persecute any, any who did believe that he was the son of Yahweh. Paul, wasn't, Paul didn't choose Yeshua. It didn't happen. Yeshua chose him. He struck him down on the road to Damascus. He tells Ananias, he says, this is my vessel. This is my vessel by which I'm going to carry my message or my name to the nations, the kings, and the sons of Israel. So when Paul opens his letter in in the book of Ephesians with this word, Paul, an apostle of Christ Yeshua, he has given you his credentials and what credentials they are. Paul could have said, I'm Saul of Tarsus from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, righteous in the law, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, circumcised the eighth day, named after the one, of, one of the greatest kings in Israel. He could have given you all those credentials. He could have said all kinds of things, but no, Paul opens his letter and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. You know why? Because that's all the authority that he needed. Yeshua chose him. He struck him down on the road to Damascus. And when he struck him down on the road to Damascus, that was good enough. He didn't have to choose Paul. Ananias was willing. Ananias was already living in Damascus where Paul was headed. He could have said, Ananias, go and take my message to the nations. Ananias was already willing for crying out loud. He didn't want to go heal Paul, but he got up and did it knowing that he might be persecuted for it. He could have picked Ananias, but he says, no, Paul is my chosen instrument. Ananias knew about the son of Yahweh. He didn't didn't need to learn and grow like Paul did. He already knew. But that wasn't the plan. Yeshua wanted Paul. And so when Paul opens his letter with the authority of Yeshua, that's enough. He doesn't, he doesn't need a, any kind of degree in seminary. He doesn't need a Ph.D. He only needs the permission, the permission and the approval of his Lord. That's all he needs. Now, if that's not enough, I don't know what is, but Paul gives us a second approval for his apostleship, and that is that he was an apostle by Yeshua, by the will of the Almighty. See, Paul comes with a double-barrel authority. Not only did Yeshua, the one sitting at the right hand of Yahweh, conduct his choosing, but he did so at his Father's will. If it was Yahweh, 
it was his will that Paul was chosen to be the instrument that would be used to carry the gospel to the nations. And so Yahweh willed, and Yeshua orchestrated it, and Paul carries out his ministry. And what was the ministry? What was the ministry that Paul had? Acts 9.15. This man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before nations, kings, and the sons of Israel. That's what he's chosen to do. So he sets out to share the gospel message to the nations around Jerusalem. Paul started with... Paul started what is probably, probably the greatest worldwide evangelical missionary enterprise that has ever been heard by man. And yes, that includes Billy Graham. He goes around setting up churches in all the provinces of Asia Minor, Collis, Corinth, Galatia. He's going around through these towns, and he goes, and he goes to, to many more. Paul took several of those missionary journeys as, to spread the gospel and to set up the churches, all of his journeys are recorded in the book of Acts, almost every every single one of them. And I think it was on his third missionary journey that he came to Ephesus, where he stayed for two to three years preaching and teaching. But Paul's journey took him to other places, and after that he ended up in Rome, and he ended, and he ended up in prison. And it was while he was in prison that most scholars believed that this letter was wrote. Include all Well, a couple letters were wrote, but including the book of Ephesians. And so, so that's the background of who Paul is and how he became an apostle and his authority through Yeshua, and the, by the will of Yahweh. So that's, that's kind of the background of him. You can go back and read the book of Acts and get all kind of background on Paul. I did a quick overview of it. So then we know who is writing and on what authority. Let's go back to verse 1 in Ephesians and see who, is, who it's written to. At the end of verse 1, he says, To the saints and believers in Christ Yeshua at Ephesus. He's writing to his fellow believers likely to those who, who he left behind in the churches that he set up when he went from town to town on his missionary journeys. These are people that he left behind, and he's writing back to them. And our text says, to those at Ephesus, is who he's writing to, but the Greek rendering simply says this, to the saints and believers in Christ Yeshua. That's what the Greek says. It doesn't include the words at Ephesus. It's, it's blank right there. See, this letter was actually not written just to the people in Ephesus necessarily. The word Ephesus is actually not included in any of the older Greek manuscripts. Three of the oldest manuscripts that we have, the Chester Beatty Papyrus, dated 200 A.D., the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus, usually dated in the 4th century A.D., do not contain the words at Ephesus. The earliest manuscript that does include the words at Ephesus is actually written about 600 years A.D., so most scholars agree that this was a circular letter that was written to all the churches in Asia Minor, all the provinces, and each church that would receive the letter could add their name in the blank, so to speak. So if Corinth received the letter, it would say, to the faithful saints in Christ of Corinth. You could just kind of insert your name in the blank. And my point is that it was intended for the church as a whole, not for, the, not for a specific location at Ephesus. And by the way, what is the church? Is it is not the church, the ecclesia in the Greek? Is it not the body of believers? It's not necessarily a, a, a building, so to speak, and it's not necessarily a place. And this letter doesn't contain any geographical information. It doesn't have anything to do with any certain locale or, or anything like that. It's just talking to the body of believers. So it's not a particular place that he has in mind here. It's a particular people that Paul's trying to share this letter with. He writes this letter to the saints, the people of the church. And by the way, that they're not just saints, 
notice that the verse says that they are faithful saints. The word, the word saint here is the Greek word hagios, and in the Greek it carries with it a meaning of someone who is pure, blameless, consecrated, or set apart, so to speak. He's holy. These are set apart people sold out for the cause of their Lord, and not only are they holy and set apart, they are faithful hagios, they're faithful saints. They are diehard believers in love with their Lord and willing and able to serve and to do whatever they have been given the means to do with for the cause of Christ. And notice, too, from the verse, these faithful saints are all in Christ. And that simply means that they are in Him. They have been redeemed by Him. They are blood-bought, born-again, sealed, and preserved for the kingdom. Believers is what they are. These people are in Christ, faithful saints in Christ. Paul's fellow believers. In other words just like you and I, just like me and you. So that's who Paul's writing to, and on what authority, Yeshua, by the will of Yahweh. And to whom he is writing is the faithful saints. And then basically, his opening comes with a greeting to them. Look at verse 2. It says, Grace to you and peace from Yahweh our Father and our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. What beautiful words, grace and peace. Now the Greek word for grace here is charis, And it means exactly what you think it means. It means grace. It means undeserved favor. It's receiving something that you don't deserve. That's all grace is. And peace is the Greek word irene. And it means to enjoy undisturbed tranquility. Grace and peace. It's an excellent greeting. It's an excellent way to greet somebody. I love to experience a little peace from time to time. I don't get a whole lot of it, but I like it when I get it. And uh, I'm definitely thankful for grace. So Paul here kind of bestows a blessing on his audience. And he says, grace and peace to you from our Father and our Lord. Man, what kind words. What kind words to bestow upon somebody. What a greeting. Who doesn't want a blessing of grace and peace? I think about Isaac when he blesses the 12 sons of Israel in Genesis 49. And he starts to tell them what they will become. Some of them he blesses and some of them doesn't sound so good to me. But Nonetheless, he, he tells them what's, what's going to happen. And in many places through the Bible, blessings are given and bestowed upon people. And um, I, don't, I don't know that I understand that because I would love to bless my children and, and, uh, in a way that when I, when I, whatever I spoke about them, that would, that would come to pass. And, and uh, Yahweh would you know, just kind of incorporate my thoughts into their plans or whatever but, um, or in, into what happens to them. But I don't, I don't, know, I don't exactly understand how, how all that happens. But at least here in Paul's writing, to the church, he says, grace and peace be upon you. May Yahweh's favor be upon you, and may your life be tranquil and peaceful. What a blessing. And what better source to receive it from than from our Heavenly Father? He says, from our Lord and our Father. Has anybody ever walked up to someone in here and says, grace and peace to you? I doubt it. No, we don't say things like that. We say dumb stuff like, how's it going? What do you mean, how's it going? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing here talking to you. What do you mean, how am I going? You know, it doesn't make sense. Or if you're from the South, you say something dumb like, how's your mama? That's dumb too. My mama is because her mother and father were, and that's why she is. You know, it's, it's just kind of silly. It's not a, those are, those are dumb sayings. Grace and peace to you. That's a blessing. Send somebody away with something like that. And uh, we don't talk like that, but maybe we should, you know. Well, that's not how Paul, Paul does it. No, no, no lame greeting from Paul. Nothing like that. He just says grace and peace. What a blessing. Now, I'm not sure, but I think personally that Paul uses grace and peace because he's speaking to Israelites in all regions. And I believe that he uses the word grace because it was a common greeting greeting in the Greek. I think that was common for somebody to say grace. And I think that's why Paul uses the word grace. And peace, 
I believe that he uses this is because the Hebrew, the, these are Israelite people that he's speaking to, you know, are scattered Israelite people, but he's speaking to them nonetheless. And these people are Hebrew people, and they, they would have understood what it means to say shalom. I think it would have skipped the language barrier. These are Greek-speaking Judaic people or Israelite people. They would understand the meaning behind the word peace. We say shalom sometimes. People around here, Sister Lee says it almost every time I see her. She says shalom, brother. And I, and I know exactly what she means. We don't speak Hebrew anymore. Or I never have spoke Hebrew. We don't speak Hebrew. But I think it jumps the language barrier. If she said peace, I would have got it. It would have been the same thing. I haven't found any scholars that allude to that, but I, but it kind of makes sense to me. It's just something that I put together, and I may be wrong, but that's kind of what I see it. So I know that the letter is written in Greek. Like I said, I just think it jumps to jumps the language barrier. So grace and peace. How great is it that Paul greets the readers of the epistle this way? And since this letter was written to all the saints in Christ, the letter is also written to you. And so grace and peace to you. We're believers in Christ. We're the saints. All the blessings and riches that we have in Yeshua are yours in Christ. So grace and peace to you from our Father and our Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul says to you. And what a reminder that we are what we are because of His grace. If we have peace at all, it's because Yahweh shown favor to an undeserving, unmerited people. There's no reason that we have any peace in our life except that Yahweh just give you grace. One writer says, Grace is the fountain. And peace is the stream. Grace is the fountain from which all blessings flow and the stream that comes from the fountain results in peace. I think it's perfect that Paul opens up the epistle, his epistle in this way with grace and peace to you because I believe the entire book of Ephesians is going to teach us just that, just that how to understand Yahweh's grace and his peace and how we can possess such things you know, through his son and the perfect work of his son. So in the upcoming studies of this book, you're going to see just how blessed you are by His grace, how rich you are in Christ, and what an inheritance you have because of your relationship with Him and the peace that you'll find there. I can't wait. I know that this is just a couple of verses that we covered tonight. I know it's a second introduction, but I didn't want to start verse 3 because verses 3 through 14 are one complete sentence and they're one complete thought. And I didn't want to cover two and get one verse of, Cover three also and break the sentence up. Even though I probably have to break it up to teach it, I want to I wanna get it all at one time. Until next time, study on the book of Ephesians and, and uh, see what you can come up with. And read, it, read it behind me and, and um, we'll start in verse three the next time that I teach. But until then, grace and peace to you. Amen. And uh, from, from our Father, Yahweh the Almighty, and His Son, Yeshua the Messiah. All right, we'll pray. Father Yahweh, thank you for... Uh, Thank you for this day and your blessings, Yahweh. I thank you for your grace and your peace. And Father, I thank you for for the older people that have gone before us. Father, I thank you for the apostles that you hand selected, that you put on on the path that you wanted them on. And Father, I thank you how you, how you take control of things and how you how you make things happen in order to bring about your plan. Yeah, we're so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your son and his work and all that he's done for us and how he, how he died a sacrificial death, a perfect death. He was raised victoriously to stand at your right hand so that we might have eternal life. Father, I love you, and I'm so thankful for all that you've done for me and um, the knowledge that you've given me and the, and the time to, 
do the things that you've allowed me to do. Father, I just give you praise, honor, and glory in all things. I pray that you'll take care of all of us, bring us back here safely next week. And I pray that your word will continually be taught in this in this assembly and that you'll be edified. And so will the, you'll be glorified and the church will be edified. Father, we love you so much. We ask all this in your holy son's name. Amen.